take out the red phrase book. Number 20, shout to the Lord.
Jamie, would you be able to share with the congregation how Janet's doing? Been over there three or four times, and I, I see an improvement. And Janet has some real trials and obstacles. Um, thanks for all the prayers. I really appreciate that. We all appreciate it. Mom is at a transitional care unit right now, but she will be going into long-term care. She has multiple health issues, and kidney, and um, she also has a broken bone from osteoporosis. So she has a lot of healing. She has her good days and not so good days. So all right now is just to uh, keep her safe and pain-free. She has a lot of pain from the, the break. Thanks for your prayers. Thank you, Jeannie. I'd like to just add, Jeannie and I spoke before this, and we also need to pray that an opening would occur in long-term care at, at just the place that God has for her. In the purple hymnal, number 568, Christ for the world we sing. Would you like to stand? Christ for the world we sing, purple hymnal, 
the end times are now. That includes 47% of all Christians, which in, in turn includes 55% of Protestants and 63% of Evangelicals, 31% of mainline church members, and 76% of historically black church members. In the, the polls further go on to state that periods of catastrophe and anxiety such as the Corona pandemic have historically led some people to anticipate the destruction of the world as we know it. The end times is near. And this thinking often has a religious component that draws on sacred scripture. In Christianity, for example, these beliefs include expectations that Jesus will return to earth after or amid a time of great turmoil. Said. And the poll was re referencing Christ's return in the second coming and not the rapture. Evangelicalism remains the primary dispenser of eschatology in the second coming of Christ. For the doctrine of the last days, social justice, other kinds of woke, woke theology are capturing many church growers and leading them down the wrong path. We pray this morning that as we look at your word, Lord, that you would lead us to a deeper understanding of what Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 14 reminds us about, about the coming wrath. And are we going to be just lukewarm? Are we going to just simulate among the crowds? Or are we going to be the faithful remnant? faithful remnant that holds up the standard of Christ of having a high view of scripture tradition, reason, and experience we pray Father, continue your prayers for Cole Passion Brenner and Janet Peterson and the Jill Reinhardt family we pray for Chris Larson's daughter Michelle who also prayed for Kena Laverty's family as they've experienced grief and loss and sickness and the unsettlement of many things. Pray for the discovery of Mike's keys. We thank you, Father, for our Sunday school that reminds us of the importance of daily meditating upon thy word. We pray, Father, all these things acknowledging that this is a day that the Lord hath made. We are called to rejoice and be glad in it. As you taught us all to pray, say together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We welcome all those by television, and radio, and YouTube, and other means of communication. We realize that you're enriched if you follow along in Scripture. And our Scripture this morning is taken from Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 14. We 
we are still a very biblically scriptural conservative congregation. We take our sermon from scripture and my titles are taken from scripture and it's taken from Luke chapter 3, verses 7 to 14. If you follow along, please. May God bless you. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized to him. Now John wasn't one to win friends and influence people. Who warned you to flee from safety, the wrath to come. Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourself, and you know, we're in a me society. Everybody wants the adulations. Kind people say we have Abraham as our ancestor. The blood of Abraham is in our veins. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the roof, roof of the trees, and every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And your demise, my demise, Will people remember us for the things that Christ has done in us and through us? Have we elevated Christ? Or have we elevated ourselves? And then the crowds asked him, What then should we do? I wish more people were asking that question today. In reply, he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized and asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what should we do? He said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by the threats or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. Mike, did you have a response today? Okay. I'm wearing this shirt today because it's the one that was given to me in New River some 50 years ago. I washed it, still a little yellow after those 50 years. Out with the various athletic teams at that time in New River. Conducted many church and unchurch funerals. And the cheerleaders gave me this shirt to wear to various athletic events. And I wear it. Zika family, both Don and Gail, were up and met one another in a hometown that was named after some of my ancestors, Tabor, Tabor, South or Tabor, Dakota, Tabor, Dakota. They they met there. Don and Gail did John. And during that time, as they were growing up, the Protestants were on one side of the street and the Catholics were on the other side of the street. They moved to Herman and then later to Deer River Coast. When they moved to Deer River, the Protestant Catholic Church were on the same side of the street. I did Gail's mother's funeral. And Wedding. I did Bill's grandson's funeral. He died in an accident. The little one.
tragedies in life. So our prayers this morning go out to the Peterson family and the Reinhardt family. Our scripture reminds us in these verses, it's just a specimen, you know, little specimens we have to kind of remember when we were in in biology class, we took little specimens and you give a specimen, specimen to your doctor and they can tell all kinds of things that's going on in your life. Well, we have in these verses a, a specimen of, of John the Baptist. John the Baptist. It's just a portion of scripture. First answer to the outline, if you're following the outline, Goes by way of television or radio, the first blank line is a portion of scripture. We can examine all forms of scripture, but we're focusing in on this passage of scripture. It's just a portion of scripture which should always be especially interesting to, to the Christian mind, your mind, my mind. And the immense effect which John, John produced lies the Jews and Continues to produce an open heart and open mind, open doors today, John's effect. However, temporary it's evident from many expressions in the Gospels. And the remarkable testimony which our Lord bore to John, and Jesus even said of John, who's a prophet greater than any born of woman. So we should pay particular attention to him. Who John was when Jesus said he's man, he's the utmost. He's he's kind of the rock star of the day. He's well known to all Bible readers, and what then was a character? You know, I like to study characters of people. And when you study John, his character, John's ministry, this is a question which the chapter before us supplies it a very practical, practical answer. We should first mark that the holy boldness, do you and I possess any resemblance to this holy boldness which John addressed the multitudes who came to his baptism? If somebody was to eulogize your life or my life, do they really see Christ in your life? Or they just see, and you provide the name. John speaks to them as a, as a generation of what? Vipers. That wasn't a phrase to win friends and influence people. But John speaks to them as a generation of vipers. John saw the rottenness and the hypocrisy of the profession of the the crowd around him were making him, and he used very descriptive language in their case. He, his head was not turned by popularity and the boards that he may have been asked to serve on or, or share. He cared not who was offended by his words, the spiritual disease of those before him was very desperate. And, and a long standing. It's a disease that you and I have, it's our sin nature. And he knew that the desperate diseases 
need strong, strong remedies. And as Christians, you and I are called on to give that remedy. Either we speak for, or if we do not speak for, we're already speaking against. Well, would it be for the Church of Jesus Christ if it possessed more very just plain speaking ministers of Christians like John the Baptist in these latter days? It's a morbid, it's a morbid dislike to to just have strong language and express the fear of giving offense. A constant flickering from from directiveness and plain speaking are unhappy is too much the characteristic of the modern the modern Christian pulpit and the modern Christian personality and uncharitable language are no doubt always to be deprecated, but but there's no charity in flattery. There's no charity in flattering unconverted people. And I fear that many people do that. They flatter unconverted people by abstaining from any mention of their vices or, or applying smooth epithets to damnable sins. There are two texts which are too much forgotten by Christian preachers and Christians. If, if, if one is, is written that should be on our tombstones, it would be, woe unto you, woe unto you when all speak well of you. Another, it is written, if I yet please men, I should not be a servant of Christ. Luke chapter 4, 26, Galatians chapter 1, and reminds us of the importance of our Christian testimony for Jesus Christ. We should mark secondly how plainly, how plainly John speaks to his hearers about hell, about hell and the dangers of hell. He tells them that there's a wrath to come. Do we really believe there's a wrath to come? He speaks of an axe, an axe of God's judgment and of unfruitful trees being cast into the fire, being cut down and cast into the fire. Brevity of life, our trees, our lives, we do not fear and bear fruit for Christ's sake. If we're not a reflection of the fruits of the Spirit of God. And the subject of hell is always offensive to human nature, but the minister of the Christian dwells much upon it. If you dwell much upon it, must expect to find themselves regarded as coarse or violent or unfeeling or narrow-minded. People love to hear smooth things and, and things that tickle their ears and to be told of peace and, and not of danger, according to Isaiah 30.10. But the subject is one that ought not to be kept back if we desire to do good, to do good to souls. And see, you and I are in that soul, 
this is oftentimes people ask me, right? I do for a living, and I say, uh, tell them I'm in the life insurance business, eternal life insurance business, as a conversation grows. It's one that our Lord Jesus Christ brought forward frequently in his public teachings. That loving Savior who spoke so graciously of the way to heaven also has used the plainest language about the way to hell. Let us beware of being wise above that which is written and more charitable than, than Scripture itself yields before us. Let the language of John the Baptist be deeply graven in our hearts. Let us never be ashamed. Let us never be ashamed. And I fear that that's why the decline of the membership in our churches, people can stand and flail around and raise their hands. But how do they act when they go out the doors and when they meet their fellow individuals during the week? We let them be ashamed to avow our firm belief that there, there is a wrath. There is a wrath to come for the impenitent and that it's possible for a person to be lost as well as it's possible to be saved. You go to the majority of funerals nowadays, and, and like I mentioned earlier, in George's ministry, my ministry, it used to be where you know, Christ was exalted. 85% of the worship service during a funeral service. And 50% was probably eulogizing. But now we're entering an age where they're eulogizing a person 85% of the time. If Christ's name come up, comes up, or salvation, or any scriptural foundations. People go away just spiritually empty. They get a little high for the moment, but are they fed for eternity, and do they have any better understanding of the relationship to Christ? To be silent on the subject is, is positive, positive treachery to people's souls. It, it only encourages them to persevere in wickedness and fosters in their minds the devil's own delusion. And you know what the devil's old delusion was? Ye shall not surely die. And many people at a funeral, they think, oh, it's, it's the person that's front and center that's dead, but never be me. But there comes a day and an hour when we all die. And up until that time, we believe in a lie of Satan where ye shall not surely die. And that minister or Christian is surely our best friend who tells us very honestly of danger and warns us like John, John, John the Baptist to flee. Flee from the wrath to come. Flee from the inevitable. Never will a person flee till they see that there's a real cause be afraid. Never will they see heaven till they are convinced that there is a risk of their falling into hell, Satan. The religion in which there is no mention of hell is, is not the religion of John the Baptist or Jesus and of our Lord Jesus and his apostles. 
We should mark, thirdly, how John exposes, and we should also expose the uselessness of a repentance, a repentance which is not accompanied by fruits of the Spirit and mind. He said to the multitudes who came to be baptized, bring forth fruit worthy of repentance. He tells them that every tree which bringeth not good fruit is hewn down, is cut down. That's a life that's cut down. This is a truth which should always occupy a prominent place in, in Christianity. It can never be impressed in our minds too strongly that, that religious talking and profession are utterly worthless without religion and religious doing and practice. It's vain to say with our lips that we repent, and if we do not, at the same time, repent in our lives by our actions and our attitudes and our aptitudes. It's, it's more than vain. It, it will gradually sear our consciences, and, and it will gradually harden our hearts. We'll see, seek the, the vain things of this world and the accolades of the world rather than the promises of God unless we show that we are really sorry for them by giving them up. Doing, doing is a very life of repentance. Tell us not merely what a, a person says in religion. Tell us rather what that's, what they do. Proverbs says, the talk of the lips, says Solomon, tendeth only to perjury. We should mark forthly what a blow what a blow John strikes at the common notion and the connection with godly people can save our lives. How many times when I've shared Christ with people and they say, well, you don't understand that my grandfather was a minister. You ever hear that, George? And, you know, my parents were a minister or I had this godly so-called connection but with godly people that seem in their minds to save them from their souls. Begin not to say, he tells the Jews, he says, see, the God said, we, don't, don't say that we have Abraham as our father, for I say unto you that God is able to use stones to raise up children unto Abraham. In a stronghold that this notion has obtained on the hearts of people in every part of the world is, is, is affecting proof of our fallen and our our corrupt condition. Thousands have, have always been found in every age of the church who have believed that the connection with godly people made them acceptable in the sight of God. I used to have a, a number of Hell's Angel friends in the River, former Hell's Angels, and they were proud of the fact that they were Hell's Angels, and they liked to congregate, and they liked to buy my dinners, when I was out, and, and, and they would tell people, well, you know, I, the church, the ceiling of the church would fall down, the tiles would fall down, came to the church, but I like to be by so-and-so because they're a Christian. That association, connection with God and people is not acceptable in the sight of God. Thousands have lived and died in this blind, blind delusion that because they were allied and allied to holy people or 
confirmed or catechized or baptized or whatever by because they were, they become holy by these ties of blood or church membership. They might themselves hope to be saved. And let it be a settled principle within us that saving Christianity and religion is a personal thing. It's one that's so personal we can't help but want to share it with others. It's, it's a business between one's own soul and Christ. Many of you children, grandchildren, by way of television, radio. And I like to tell people about my children and my grandchildren. I'm proud of them. I'm proud of Christ. The things that we're truly proud of, we're going to be telling people about it. It's a business between each man's own soul and Christ. It will profit us nothing at that last day. It had belonged to the Church of England or the Church of Luther, Martin Luther, or, or Calvin, or Kramer, or Knox, or Owen, or Wesley, or Whitfield. Or had we the faith? Had we had the faith of holy people? God doesn't have adopted children. You have to be drafted in. There will be the only points, and that's the only points in which our salvation will turn. It will have, and it will save no person of had Abraham's blood in their veins if they did not possess Abraham's faith and Abraham's works. And we should remark in closing today, last thing in this passage, that the searching test of sincerity that one can be sincerely wrong, wrong, sincerely wrong. The test of sincerity which John applied to the consciences of the various classes who came to his baptism. He bade each one of them make a profession. He said, make a profession of your repentance, your repentance to begin by breaking off from those sins which especially beset you. The selfish, Multitudes must show common charity to each other. The publicans must ex exact no more than their due, he said. The soldiers must do violence to no one and be content with their wages. And he did not mean that by so doing they would atone for their sins. Atonement, which can only become a one with Christ and the blood of Christ, and made their peace with God. But he did mean that by so doing that they would prove their repentance to be sincere. And let us leave this passage with a deep conviction of the wisdom, the wisdom of this mode of dealing with souls, and especially with the souls of those who are beginning to make a profession of faith in Christ. Above all, let us see here the right way to prove our own hearts. It must not, and we must not be condemned content as to cry out against sins to which by natural temperament we are not inclined while we deal gently with our own sins of, of different character. Let us find out our own peculiar corruptions. Let us know our own besetting sins. Against them let us direct our principal efforts and with these let us wage this unceasing warfare. Let the rich break off from the rich man's sins and let the poor from the sins of the poor. Let the young man give up the sins of the youth and the old man the sins of the age. 
this is the first step towards proving that we are in earnest. Earnest when we first begin to feel that movement of God's Holy Spirit in our souls. Are we real? Are we sincere? Then let us begin by looking at our home and our lives and looking within. Father, this morning as we realize the text that reminds us of the coming wrath, may we found, be found righteous through the blood of Christ. May we bear fruits of righteousness and may people acknowledge the fact that we've been with Christ and that we're in Christ. Help us not to seek vain glory, but the glory of God. Whether you bowed and every night closed and closed by way of television, would you say this prayer with me, dear Jesus? I acknowledge that it's sin and fallen short of your glory. Forgive my sins, O Lord. Help me to repent. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to be not self-conscious, but God-conscious. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you join me as ushers come forward this morning for our offertory, if you join me with me in the offertory prayer, printing your bulletin. God of all creation, source of every blessing, you have given us so much, and we bring our tithes and our gifts to you this day. These seem so small by comparison, unless we see that we are truly called to give ourselves back to the world. May we meet a salt that brings value and flavor into relationships with those around us. May we be the light that helps others find their way to your love and care. We pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus, who came to save us. Amen. As the ushers come forward, we return to our offertory prayer, O Word of God incarnate, purple number 598, please.
cowardice that dares not face new truth, from the laziness that is contented with half truth, and from the arrogance that thinks it knows all truth, good Lord, deliver us. And may we be the light that brings flavor and relationships with those around us. That light, we pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus, who came to save us. Amen.
name of Jesus.